Greetings, Traveler. Welcome back to the end of the Seven Dice. I see you're probably here again for that story. A few more people showed up. Why don't you go around to the back there? They got all the chairs set up. Welcome, Traveler. Yes, yes, I know. It was supposed to be two weeks' time. Well, the thing is, I got all ready to go on my boat to Lantern. Gonna visit some family there, see how people were doing, you know, the huge. When suddenly, one of the Hellhounds, a police force here in the city, decided they wanted to stop a thug on said boat, destroying the boat. This, of course, unfortunately, has damaged my beautiful microphone. You may think to yourself, but Wingover, your voice is so crystal clear. You do not need a microphone to send this message to me. But to do these other voices, I in fact do. Because it imitates their voices perfectly when I first met them. It's pretty fantastic. So when you hear this story today, Kelsar's voice may change from time to time. But don't you worry. It will still sound golden and beautiful, taking you on this ride, the Ballad of the Chosen Few. Join me today as we look into the story of Kelsar, the tiefling paladin of the Silver Shield, the poor boy who was locked in a dimensional training facility for paladins. It was super boring there. He didn't get any rain, no real sun, and when he came to this world, the poor boy was so confused. But join me in regaling the tale of Kalsar, the tiefling paladin of the Silver Shield. Kalsar, the tiefling paladin, has been raised by the Order of the Silver Shield, a holy paladin order in service of a being of light. They have shown him the way of sword and faith ever since he was rescued from his imprisonment as a slave child in the village of Alakast. Being born of tiefling blood, his family and fellow villagers took to their demonic heritage with glee, embracing all forms of evil and forcing these views upon their children. Kalsar was the only child to have ever denied these evil ways, and that turned him into the most hated in the village. Born of fair skin and silver hair, Kalsar had very few telltale signs of his people. His horns were smaller than others, just two small sharp horns jutting from his forehead and a thinner tail coming from his lower back. When he was of age, he was brought to the Ceremony of the Bloodletting, where he would kill one of the recently captured slaves, sacrificing their life to Orcus. Kalsar could not find it in himself to do such a terrible act, and refused outright to participate in the ritual. This brought great shame to his family, so they set him up to be the village slave. For years, he endured torture, humiliation, and torment, and those he thought family and friend and as they tried to break his spirit, they instead almost stole his will to live. It was one night when he was lying on a pile of straw that a light appeared before him. It was a small glowing orb of cyan, and it spoke to him, telling him to hold on, that he would be rescued, that he was meant to be a hero, that all this sacrifice and suffering would not be in vain. The very next night, a small battalion of paladins stormed the village. They slayed every last man and woman and rescued Kalsar from their demonic ways. He was brought to a pocket dimension where the cyan light resided, and there he has trained to become the hero they claimed he shall be. Alright, so starting it off, how about you introduce yourself, give a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. Hi there, internet. My name is Brent. I am playing the character Kalsar. A little bit about myself is this gentleman over here got me into D&D finally, <laughs> and uh, I've been infatuated with it ever since, uh, ever since we started playing. Kelsar is like a character that's been kind of, uh, in my vision, of well, our vision of yeah. it, is uh, he's a paladin that he was kind of like a defect of his people. He never really fit in, and uh, he was always punished severely for it, for not being, you know, violent and cruel like the rest of his people, and really messed him up mentally and all that. And eventually, he was getting to his breaking point, and so he was saved by being of light. Uh, went through training. He was always his personality is always distant and not trusting of people. You know, spending like half your life as, uh, you know, it'll do a few things to you. Yeah. 
it, it'll it'll mess you up. So uh, you know his social like he doesn't really have too many friends. He doesn't really talk to people too much, but somehow he's charismatic. Yeah. What about the pocket dimension that he currently resides in? Okay, it's pocket dimension. I kind of based this off of the hyperbolic time chamber of uh, Dragon Ball. I am a nerd. Well, you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. You have to be cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, it's kind of like place you you know it's like hyperbolic time chamber. It's got like all the food you need and water and all the essentials. But it's basically you know time manipulated. It's like one year in there is. 10 years out there kind of thing so basically with all this training and all that sends them like 100 years into the future these are like special order paladins that are meant to fight through time and space not just in one world say where they might have like a monastery instead it's like they actually fight against a greater evil basically time cops yeah. I guess <laughs> time cops we'll, we'll, we'll make it like it's time order cops. of time cops time yeah, order. Yeah, time cops. Each day for you has become somewhat like a ritual. You wake up, you train, you eat, you meditate, you eat again, study, go to bed. And you have three teachers who have been guiding your path into becoming this hero that they constantly tell you you need to be. So you have Master Ella, who trains you in the ways of combat. She ensures that your swordplay is good, your defense is admirable, and that you are a step above the rest. You have Master Typhon, who teaches you any form of education that you need, and makes sure that you are up to date on history of different planets, cultural experiences, just like little things that you should know. A lot of etiquette is often taught through him. So... You're aware of the outside world, but you've never actually experienced it. You've learned through a book. And your last teacher is Master Estar, and she teaches you the ways of the spiritual matters. Through faith of the Cyan Light, who you know as Yegditha. She also teaches you the spells that paladins learn to use, the holy magics that you can master to heal people and save people. And teaches you to not abuse it. So your day starts like every other day. You wake up in the sleeping area where it's a number of bunk beds all set up for the trainees. You hear that loud dong go and just resounds throughout the whole area and the artificial sunlight starts filtering through this pocket dimension. And everyone else gets up immediately, they grab their clothes, they shuffle out and they don't really pay a whole lot of attention to you. A couple of them glance your way but like every other day, they're a little cold to you and just seem to treat you like you're just there. Your first session is with Master Ella. So you go and you walk through these halls. The way I imagined it was it's these large domes that are sort of the stone domes that are connected to each other through different walkways as if it was like a university campus. You walk over to the, the main one where a lot of students get trained and usually it's one instructor and we'll have about 10 to 15 students. In this area, there are probably a good 200 paladins being trained and taught the ways of the Cyan Light. You get special training, one-on-one, -on -one, which people seem a little agitated about. They actually see it as you getting this special treatment where they're essentially being shown that they aren't as special as you, they're a little inferior, just because you have some prophecy built around your name. Oh yeah, I mean, it's uh, a little unfair. I mean, I didn't really pay for the you know, for the DLC, so... Yeah. Microtransactions or whatever. Well, I mean, it was worth it. So, when you're training with Master Ella, how is Kalsar? Is he quiet, reserved? Is he... Does he fight with uh, an anger? How does he train? I would say there's, like, when he's in battle, he's focused. Like, he's got, like, that determination. Why don't you roll me a d20 and add your proficiency bonus and strength modifier to it, as if you were attacking. Oh, fuck. So, 3, 5, I guess 7? Today is not your day. Maybe it was you didn't get a whole lot of sleep, something's been bothering you, but she hands your ass to you, kicking you around the curb. Every time you go in for a swing, she knocks your sword out of your hands. Every time you try to roll to the side, she trips you. She knocks your shield away and slaps you with it. 
and she does not seem pleased with you. She comes over to you after about an hour and a half of you training with sword work. Kalsar, you have much to improve on. You need to clear your mind. Maybe after a meal and meditating, you can get this out, but be sure the next training session in the morning, you're focused. And then you hear another bell ring, which indicates that it's time for everyone to go for breakfast. So when you go to the breakfast hall, a lot of the kids won't sit with you. When I say kids, they're early 20s, 18, that kind of thing. So young. Yeah, super young, you know. But a lot of them won't sit with you. And you know how it is. There's always the cliques that will sit with each other and hang out. And maybe they have friends. But a lot of people seem to always give you the cold shoulder. And you think it's a little extreme for you just being a a hero and getting a bit special treatment. Where everyone treats you so coldly. But you're used to it. It's been years that you've had this. How does he deal with these things? He doesn't hold any grudge to them. Like, he kind of gets it doesn't like really resent them in a way okay so he's a lot more understanding than obviously these others are towards him so anytime you want your character to do something you know like free will kind of thing like that by all means just yeah just say the word and it's just like a normal game right your character can do whatever he wants yeah no sure after the bell rings everyone gets up they put away their plates and everything for the people to wash the dishes any kind of food that's left over is being scraped off and just going to be used for compost. While you're exiting this mess hall, make a perception check. 20. Natural 20. So you see it immediately. As you step out of there, you look across the way, and I imagine the the void that surrounds this pocket dimension. And nearing the pocket dimension, it's a light purple mist, But as it goes further and further away, it goes deeper and darker until it hits basically a black color. But you notice something that you've never seen in all of your years of being here. At the very edge, just outside the bubble that makes up this place, is a fist-sized white rock, and it seems to be glowing. And nobody else seems to notice this. There's plenty of people walking around, but you saw it immediately when you walked out. I'm gonna walk towards the rock. As you progressively get closer to the rock, you notice that this glowing stone, it's giving off a feeling of safety, protection, warmth, kindness. And you get to the edge of this clearing where the bubble starts meeting the void. And you see the stone, it looks as though it's sitting on ground even though there's no ground there. And it's just outside the bubble. And you've been warned before don't go charging straight at the bubble because you can go through it and you will fall into nothingness, which has happened to a few students. Oh, so uh, I almost got myself killed. Yeah, you can, say, reach your hand out, put your head out there. There's no oxygen, but as long as you don't jump off the edge, you'll be fine. Okay, so I put my hand into it? So you put your hand out into the void. Uh, Do you grab the stone or are you just kind of testing the waters? kind of like hold on to it so you reach down and hold on to the stone and when you put your hand out there it's cold there's no artificial heat and sunlight like inside this pocket dimension and when you grab onto the stone it feels warm as if you're holding a fresh cup of tea or coffee and you feel really good when you hold this stone as if you had a parent's embrace and you feel safe and as though you were a little child but one thing you notice is the stone doesn't seem to be leaving your hand. What is this energy that I'm feeling for the first time in my life? He's never had a family figure or father figure or anything like that, really. Since he's come here, people have trained him, they've taught him, but no one's shown him warmth. Could I maybe, like, keep the stone somewhere hidden? Maybe in the satchel or something? Definitely. I'm gonna do that, then. So as you bring the stone back in... As it nears the edge of the bubble, it starts glowing brighter and brighter and brighter until it finally comes through, and then it softens to a slight glow. When you go to put it in your satchel, it leaves your hand easily, but any time you try to, say, drop it on the ground, it doesn't seem to leave your hand at all. So it's basically kind of like a 
familiar in a way, but not. Yeah, it kind of feels bound to you. Like, it's bound to me for something. Like, this this has a purpose. You're now running late for your meditation classes. What do you do now that you've found this strange object? I run to my meditation class. So you get there a little winded, but all in all, you're fine. And you see that Master Estra is sitting there on her mat, and she's just staring a little coldly at you. Kalsar, why were you late? <sighs> Apologies, Master Estra. It was my fault. I was distracted. It was... It was a new feeling I never felt in my life. Kalsar, are you getting close with a girl here? You know what we told you about relationships in the Order. No, I'm not getting close to anyone. Very well. Sit down. Let us begin. As you sit down, you still have that feeling of warmth and protection. As long as this rocks on you, you just continue this feel-good sensation. Make an insight check. Six, and what do I add to it? If you have the insight skill, you'll add your wisdom modifier and proficiency bonus. Okay, so six plus two... And then plus my proficiency bonus? Yeah. So, ten. Maybe it's just you, you're not sure, but it seems like Master Estra is a little angrier than usual. Hmm. But she sits down and make a concentration check. Eleven plus three plus... Yeah, eleven... Yeah, eleven plus three. So, you actually managed to... Relax. You've been a little agitated this morning. Things weren't going great with your training. You had to deal with the mess hall again. And you managed to get here and just finally settle down. And this feeling actually helps you ease into it a little bit more. And for the first time in a long time, you just feel good. Yeah. Like, I never felt this feeling before. Like, I never felt good about myself. It's almost like a giddy feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So after uh, an hour or two, you, the time flies right by. You don't even notice. That's what often happens with meditation. The final bell sounds for your last meal of the day. And Master Estra looks at you and says, That was quite surprising. Kalsar, it seems your concentration is getting better. Thank you, Master Estra. I guess the teachings are getting through to me finally. Well, see to it that you carry on with this path. Something's changed me. It's motivated me to be better. What's changed recently, Kalsar? Not a lot exactly happens in this dimension. It's hard to explain. It's just a matter of feeling. I never understood what it truly meant to be good. I only naturally acted on it without true purpose. But for the first time ever, I truly understand to want to protect others. She stares at you for a moment, and then just... Gives a slow nod and then says, Well, carry on with this feeling. This will lead you towards a path of righteousness and a path of good. She motions for you to leave to go to the mess hall like everyone else. When you get there, make another insight check. Oh my god. Did you get a one? No, I didn't. Uh, I got a roll of four, which might as well have been a one. Four plus two plus ten again. So basically everything is a-okay when you go to lunch, or you go to dinner. You're just sitting there feeling good, your satchel is feeling warm on your side. They give you the lumps of protein, you know, your basic garden vegetables. There's never any meat here, they don't seem to raise any kind of livestock or anything like that. They seem to stick you to a strictly vegetarian diet. When you uh, leave the mess hall and it's finally time to go study, you feel like the stone's growing a little warmer in your satchel. Okay, as usual. But now it's time for you to go to the study hall. Okay. So your person that teaches you, Master Typhon, he's always... He seems like he's agitated. One of those elitists. I'm a little bit better than you. I'm here to enlighten the world. Thank God I'm here for you. Yeah. And as you get there, he sees you and says, Kalsar? I expect you five minutes early every time. I've told you this. But, but I... These classes are more important than swinging around a stick of metal. Now, take your seat. Yes, Master Typhon. I'm sorry. 
and he just stares at you disapprovingly as he begins taking out a number of large books, which you know he's going to expect you to read the whole damn thing again. And as you go through your studying, even though normally this class is a bit of a drag, as they say, you just feel great. But you see that Master Typhon, as you feel really great, no matter what he's saying to you or drilling at you and it keeps you feeling good, he just seems to get more and more agitated. Until finally, he actually ends the class early and says, That'll be enough, Kalsar. You go take your smug look back, wash up, and go to bed. Yes, master. So you just march out of there, and you don't really care about what this guy says or feels. And you do the classic ritual, you go... I don't really give a shit about him. Yeah, you just go wash up and get on back to the sleeping areas where they have all the bunk beds set up. Yeah. And make a perception check as you come in. Oh, great, I can't wait to roll a four again. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, nice. 17. 17 plus 2. 17 plus uh, 4, so 21. So one of your bunk mates, the girl who actually sits right above you, is named Chenille. And as you walk past her, you actually hear her mutter, she says, demon filth, and keeps walking past you. You've never had anyone say something like this to you. Usually people are cold. They're a little standoffish, but nobody's ever actually insulted you. I sop her. She turns around and says, What, Kalsar? Why are you so full of anger? What have I ever done to you? She just looks away and says, I'm done talking with you. I don't feel like having this conversation. You need to let go of your hate. Then you will see the light. When she looks back at you, there's tears in her eyes. She's just so angry. And then she just storms away, pushes away your hand. And you're honestly not sure what the hell that was about, because you've never had an issue with her. No, I haven't. It seems like everyone's just on edge this day, though. Can I maybe kind of see where she's going, or why she's by this sudden change? Sure. Definitely. So are you trying to follow her without her seeing you? Or are you just going to follow her regardless? I don't really have anything in stealth, so... You would just add your dexterity if you tried. I guess I can try. Sure. Well, nine. That doesn't go well. Well, That's fine. (laughs) She's walking and rolls a one. And as you're not walking very quietly, you knock into books. You've, like, someone goes like, hey, Kosar. Like, while you're walking by, (laughs) like, just stuff like that. And you're like, oh, shut up, shut up. (laughs) And you're like, nobody ever says hi to me. Why did they say hi to me today? And she doesn't seem to notice. She just, like, storms out, and she leaves the main building. And as you go outside... She's using, uh, she's texting on her tablet. Yeah, exactly. She has one of her fantasy tablets. But you go outside, and she just goes and sits out there where they have the artificial grass. Yeah. That sweet astroturf. And there's all the stars in the this sort of fake night sky that they've created for you to give you a sense of night and day. And she just doesn't seem to see you at all. She's just sitting down in the grass, and it looks like she's crying. I'm going to sit beside her, uh, ask her, you know, what's what what's troubling you. Why don't you roll a charisma to see how well you can talk this through? Eight plus three plus two, so thirteen. Well, you stop her from screaming at you, at least, which is definitely a plus. Yeah. She looks over at you, and she's just visibly distraught. You don't know anything, Kalsar. How many times have we had this conversation and you're acting like it's the first time? I'm done with these stupid games. I want to leave. Why do you want to leave? What's the point of this order, Kalsar? What have they told you that we're doing? I'm not sure, but it's a hell of a lot better than what I was born into. That's just it, though. None of us know what we're doing here. They bring us from all over, different worlds, and they tell us that we're going to be some great force of light to protect everyone. We haven't done anything. All we've done is wrong. I was on the verge of just ending my life. Every day was a nightmare of torture and humiliation. Being beaten for not giving into the darkness, for not being cruel and worthless. For years this went on. I couldn't sleep. Food didn't taste good. The build of fight was crushed daily. I just hold on to this 
faint light of hope. That there's something better than this. Better than what I was born for. That I could be more than a tool of destruction and cruelty. But a being of hope. I really hope that's true, Kalsar. I really do. It's just, with where you come from, what you are, it's, it's hard to believe. I mean, I've seen you, you're not a bad person, but it's in your blood. And she kind of stares for a moment at you, like she wants to say something more, and she just stops and says, I'm sorry for what I said earlier. I was just, I was angry, and I took it out on you, and I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. And all is forgiven. We want to know what our purpose is. We're desperate to find it. But we can't lose ourselves in it. Our time will come. I know it. She nods at you and says, Thanks for talking to me. I, I know no one really ever talks to you, and you actually came out here and talked to me, and I I really appreciate that, Kalsar. Thank you. I feel like something is changing in me. Something I'm feeling for the first time. She looks at you just for a moment, like as if she's really trying to look into you. And she just slowly nods and says, I should get going back. It's If we get caught again... I don't want to be in trouble. I really don't want to have to write out another stupid book. I agree. We should get some rest. It's going to be a big day tomorrow. It always is. She gets up and walks on back. She walks a little faster than you. Uh, make an insight check. Ah, uh, one. <laughs> so I poke out my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she works a little faster than you. Maybe it's a race. I don't know. <laughs> so I imagine you go back to your quarters, right? Yeah, go to my quarters. It's been a long day. Gotta get some sleep. You have one of the best sleeps you've ever had in a long time. It's a strange one. Your usual memories, you have night terrors of the horrible atrocities that were committed on you from people that you thought were friends and family. But this sleep, it's finally peaceful. It's almost like someone's there watching over you. Yeah. It's... I'm surprised I didn't have to roll roll something. <laughs> roll to sleep. You rolled a one. You just eat your mattress. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to, like, get some sweet insight here, and you're just... You're just walking in the walls. So, yeah. Good night, sleep. Morning comes around again. You hear that gong go off. The annoying low sound wakes everyone up. And your day starts once more. So this day, it, it's kind of like a, one of those cartoons where the character wakes up and the flowers are saying hello. Okay. You feel like that. And that's not a feeling you get. Or the, the dude in the Viagra commercial. Yeah, exactly. So you step outside, everything's going great, you do excellent with your sword play, your meal goes great, you even see that your bunkmate actually nods to you this time today instead of just ignoring you or calling you a name now. Yeah. As you're walking out, you don't even need to make a perception check for this one. You see a figure standing right where that white rock is. Uh-oh. And the figure is completely encased in a soft white glow. It's the same feeling I'm getting from the stone. What's this about? It's a different feeling you're getting from this person, but it's the same light and the same color. Yes. I slowly approach it. So you slowly come up, and as you get nearer, you notice that this person's actually wearing these glowing white robes. And where their face should be, they have their hood pulled up, and there's a simple, pallid white mask. Almost looks like something you would use in a, an old stage play. Who are you? I am Truth. Kalsar, you have been recruited for a war. A war? It's far more important than these feeble things that you are doing right now. I knew this day would come. Kalsar, you have failed these people. What? You've brought doom onto them, and hopefully with the war coming up, you will not fail us. For if you fail us, all of existence will be unraveled. This is... This is so much to take in. I can't even begin to grasp it. That stone has brought the doom of everyone here. Oh, oh, that's impossible! What have I done? Is there any way I could stop this? You've let something in, and it's not going to leave without you. No! He holds out his hand. Give me your left hand. If it will undo this, 
I will do anything you say. He just stares. Uh, well, you're actually not sure because of the mask. So you just see him holding out his hand for your left hand and looking forward. I can't believe what I have done. I have to make this right. So he grabs onto your hand, and you feel this searing pain. And he slowly crushes your hand, and then lets go. And your hand's back to normal, it's fine. But you feel this throbbing on top of your left hand. Now, when you leave the mortal coil, you will be recruited. Yes. Do not fail us, Kelsar, as you have failed those before you. I will not fail again. I will make things right. You see him turn without a word and just starts walking into the void as if he was walking on solid ground. And you know for a fact out there, there's no oxygen. There's no atmosphere of any kind. It's a vacuum. As well as there's no ground for him to be walking on. And as he slowly gets further and further away, he just vanishes into a white mist. Now, does Kelsar usually wear gloves for his training and things like that? Gloves. Okay. He doesn't like any, you know, blisters. I care for him. That makes sense. Yeah. So your hand underneath your gloves is just throbbing away. <sighs> and then you hear the gong sound off, and once more, it's time for you to go to your meditation. As you're walking by, and you're heading towards the meditation hall, you hear a little bit of a commotion. What's going on? You hear someone shouting at someone. You can't make out what they're saying, but it's damn near to the point of screaming. Oh no. Should I investigate? You can? I'm gonna investigate. As you go over there, you see it's it's almost like a classic schoolyard fight. There's a ring of people around two others there, screaming and yelling at each other. One man you recognize as your master, Master Typhon, who is a bookish man, glasses, very scrawny, does not look like he could hold his own in combat, and the other man is the senior paladin you know as Dan Bright. Okay. And he's standing there, and his fists are clenched, and his jaw is taut as he's listening to Master Typhon go, It is your fault all of this happened. Why should you be in command of the army? It should be Master Ella. And he just keeps staring as Typhon goes on and on about his failings and how he let people die, and it's his fault that Ella's husband killed himself, and just all these insane claims, and people are almost cheering for them to fight. So what do you do, Kelsar? You're standing on the outer ring of these people. Should I ask uh, one of the people around the ring what's going on? Sure. Okay, I ask, I do that. Let's see you show up. I mean, you are the cause for this fight. Oh man, it's been way too long since some action happened. What do you mean? What do you... It's because of all the stress that you put on people. Are you serious, Kalsar? Whatever. I I just want to see the fight. Get on my way. Ugh. Done. So you see, Dan goes, pulls his arm back, and nails Typhon. As Typhon was just screaming at him, breaks his glasses and sends him backwards, his blood just starts spurting out of his face. And then he slowly begins to walk towards him. Can I... Can I, like, get behind him and, like, try to restrain him? Sure. So you're going to have to make your way through the crowd, so why don't you make a strength check to just try to shove people out of the way, because they're all really into this and trying to block you if you look like you're going to go in there and stop things. God. What is with these shitty rolls? Ten. Ten is what you needed. Sweet. So you barely managed to just squeeze your way through people. You get elbowed a little bit and jostled, but you get through and into the ring, and people are like, ho-ho! As you step in there, and Dan and Typhon look at you. That's enough! Kelsar. Dan steps forward, stay out of this. No, I can't let this happen. Why are you doing this? What is the point of this? They both kind of stare away from you. Make a diplomacy check. See if your words can reach them. 11, 13. You go in there and, you know, you're calling them out on this. And Dan's just looking down at his fist. There's blood on it. And he looks a little embarrassed, like, shit, what have I done? You see Master Typhon just angry and sputtering. His face is red. There's blood coming down his face. His glasses are broken. You're just an animal, Dan. 
and Dan slowly turns to Typhon. Somebody get him out of here now. So nobody seems like they want to actually break them up. Right now, it's Dan's kind of standing standoffish. Typhon is just poking the bear, and you're standing there, sort of in between them. Typhon's the one that's fighting Dan, right? That's right. Can I do, like, an intimidation check? Yes. 14, plus 3, plus 2, 19. What do you say to make Master Typhon stand down? Typhon, if you don't stand down, I won't be responsible for what I do next. He sheepishly looks away and says, You should be somewhere else right now, Kelsar. I don't have time for this. I'm leaving. And he quickly marches off as people go like, Ah... And you see Dan go in the opposite direction, muttering to himself. To Kelsar, this would be incredibly out of the ordinary. There hasn't been a fight here ever. No one's ever actually thrown a fist unless it's been for training. Hmm. Something kooky's going on. So what do you do for the remainder of your day? You right now are late for your meditation class. This is should go to my meditation class. So you get there, you know, huffing and puffing, run along. And Master Estra looks at you as you come and says, Kelsar, why are you so late? There's a fight going on between Master Typhon and Master Dan. I just just couldn't stand by and let this happen. She stares at you a moment, like you just told her that a portal with dinosaurs just opened up in the middle of the area. But as she's staring at you, she realizes you're telling the truth and says that we'll look more into this. Don't you worry. For now, resume your classes. Thank you, Master. Sit. So, make a concentration check with advantage this time. That stone's still going. Fourteen. I roll. So, with advantage, uh, have you done that before? I have not, no. What it gives you is that you actually get to roll twice, and you take the better roll. Okay. Twelve. Okay, so fourteen? Yeah. So once more, you're very focused... The whole fight was just ridiculous. You've never had to be in the middle of a conflict like that, and it was a little frightening because Paladin Dan Bright is like this six-foot-five mammoth of a person who could just lay anyone out, and the fact that Typhon went after him was just ridiculous. Yeah. But you manage to settle down. With a little bit of help from that stone, you just fall into this ease of meditation. And before you know it, the gong is sounding off again for the dinner. Yes. So she looks up at you and says, That'll be all, Kalsar. Someone may come by to talk to you later. Have you noticed any other strange goings-on? Is there anything that you can tell me? What, was one of the students antagonizing Typhon to try to get him to do this? Like, has anything odd happened? I was... visited by something. There should be no visiting here. I, I, I know, but it's hard to explain. They, they say I've been chosen to fight in the war? She stares at you for a moment. What did they look like? They had a white robe and a white mask on. She ponders for a moment and says, Was the mask white with no eye holes? Yes. Master Astra, what does this mean? Kalsar, did you shake its hand? Yes, Master. She stands up, her... Legs are a little unsteady, either from the meditation or from the fact this seems to be a a little bit of a frightening situation for her. Kalsar, remove your gloves, please. Yes, Master. As you slip your gloves off, your right one comes off, your hand's fine. Your left one comes off, and there is a massive black mark on the top. (sighs) It starts with a little sphere in the center and three tendrils, two going one way, one going the other way, all spray out on your hand. By the divine! While you're staring at it, it's moving a little bit. Like a little bit back and forth, as if there was like a slight wind or something moving it or water. What is going on? You have been marked, Kalsar. And this is not a mark you wish to have. I need you to go lie down and rest. The amount of strain this is taking on your body, you don't realize it now, but you may end up sleeping for a day or two. I'm... I'm going to consult with Yagditha. 
Kelsar. Once you've awoken, I know you've never gone there, but you must go to Yagditha's room. The door will open for you, and we will talk to you there. Now please, Kelsar, go lie down. Yes, Master. As you leave, she's just putting her hand on the wall and looking down at her feet, gone completely pale, and her legs are shaking. So you get to bed, and I mean that feeling of warmth is still with you. You still feel okay, but this feeling on your hand throbs. It's almost like you got a burn, and you have that that little bit of pain, just enough to get through whatever tiny bit of adrenaline your body pumps out to annoy you. Yeah. You don't have the best sleep while you're trying to lay down. You don't even hear anyone come in. Usually, there's a a bustle of fifteen other children or fifteen other young adults walking in and sleeping in the same room as you in their bunk beds. As you finally start to awaken, it's not to the sound of a gong, but instead it's to the smell of a light smell of smoke and a delicious aroma of cooked meats. Oh, this is unusual. Well, I start walking towards the smell. So you get up and you get out of bed and quickly dress yourself. Stepping out in the hallway, you actually see that the ceiling of this building, there's a layer of smoke that's traveling along the ceiling towards the exits. What is going on? And you can hear very distantly. There is the sound. You're not sure if it's dishes or plates or shields hitting each other. It's, it's far away and hard to tell. I guess I'm going to go investigate the sound. As you're walking through the hallway, you pass through a number of corridors. All the lights are out everywhere. There's no candles nor torches. But you walk up to this one entryway that's throughout this hallway. And what you see is you see your new friend, Chenille. She's sitting there on the ground. She has a knife in her hand. And she's covered head to toe in blood. There's a dismembered torso sitting in front of her. Chenille! And she looks up at you and says... It wasn't my fault. It kept moving. It kept moving and I had to do this. What is going on here? I had to kill it again. What was that thing? It was Anthony. The guy who sleeps just across from us. What's happening? He came at me with a brick and so I tried to run and he kept chasing me. He grabbed me by the hair and I managed to get my knife out and I... I stabbed him, and he fell down to the ground, but he just got back up. Everyone is fighting everywhere. I don't know what to do. I had to cut off his limbs. They kept moving on their own. We... We, we have to get out of here. You're gonna have to try to... kind of rouse her from this state. She's in... basically a catatonic state of just... trauma and fear. Persuasion check. Yep. 8 plus 3 plus 2 is 13. So you kind of stand her up. You give her a quick shake. What? The good old-fashioned motivation. We have to go. Where Where can we go? Everyone's fighting everywhere. Where is safe? The, the chambers. They told me about this yesterday. She stares at you for a moment and just gives you a quick nod. You start moving down the hallway quickly towards the chambers, and you see... As you're going through the hallway, there are bodies that start lining it. They have swords that are pierced through their head into the stonework, and they're just hanging, their feet dangling. And as you start coming up to these people, their hands reach out to you as if they're trying to grab you, but there's just enough room to walk in the middle, and she screams. Keep going! There's nothing we can do for them! Kalsar, you don't even have a weapon! We have to keep going! We just have to push through! So you walk past the library, and it's your usual place to study with Master Typhon. And you see the books have been amassed into these blazing piles. And you see other members of the Silver Shield, people you are just sitting across from or conversing with. And they're throwing these bodies into the flames. And you hear them shout, We must cleanse the non-believers. They bring violence. They must be cleansed with light. And you see two of them take a young child's body and toss it into the flames. We have to keep going. She grabs onto your hand and squeezes it tightly. And whenever you're seeing these horrific things, it's 
enough to break a person's mind, but every time something new and horrific happens, this thing on your hand throbs and you feel under control again. You feel okay. You feel like you can do this. It's not a, I'm not a stranger to this anyways. Exactly. You're quickly rushing through the hallway. More and more gore, viscera, limbs everywhere. You walk past the courtyard and you see Master Estra. She's sitting there in a meditative stance. There's ten other students surrounding her in the same stance. And there's this glowing white-blue circle around them. There's all these people screaming at them. They have axes, swords, spears, and they're slamming on this barrier. And she looks up at you, and she gives you this look like, don't come here, and just stares at you. And as you're running through these halls, and you're standing there at the courtyard now, you see there's a number of discarded weapons just lying on the ground from people who have been butchered. I pick up longsword and shield. Why don't I take those? You easily find that. You just grab it off the ground, there's blood all over them, but you need something to protect yourself. Oh, and hey, my chainmail. You don't exactly have enough time to don chainmail, <laughs> but you can pick up this stuff. If you want to spend the four or five minutes, you can put it on. Uh, I don't think, don't think we got time. What do you do about Master Estra? You see at least eight people surrounding this circle. Is there any way I could fight through to get to her? It's possible. I'm going to try and fight through. Okay. So roll me an initiative check. I rolled a six. I don't know what my initiative is. Oh, it would be your dexterity modifier. Okay, so zero. Or one. So you go second in this round, but to start off, it's the people in there slamming and hammering on this barrier, and two of them look over at you. Oh, it's Kalsar. I'm gonna fucking flay this demon boy. And two of them come running at you. And they both swing, but you manage to deflect the blows. So then it goes to you. Okay, I attack one of them. Sure. Uh, 16 plus... Oh yeah, these guys are just wearing clothes, so... 2, uh, 18. That's a hit. Okay, and I think it's 1d8 plus 2. Uh, 4 plus 2, so 6. So you outright cut this man down. And you recognize him as one of the people that every now and then you would spar with to try to get better, and so you recognize his patterns of attack. And he comes in and just lazily swings at you. You deflect it with your shield and you just pierce him right in the chest and rip your sword out and he topples to the ground while holding this wound. Forgive me, I had to do it. After you did that, you hear a scream from behind you and Chanel runs forward and she slams this mace into the head of the other guy and he just falls down to the ground instantly. His eyes still open, his head caved in. She looks over at you and says, What are we doing? We're doing what we have to do. These are not the same people that we know and love. They're demons now. We have to get through. So the other six who are hammering on this, they go to swing again, and you see that Master Estra, she's just accepted, like, there's nothing I can do for these students. They're too far gone. And you see her slowly stand up, and she slams her hands together. And... The whole lot of them just collapse to the ground as this wave of electricity just rips right through them. And the other ten students are scared and they quickly rush over to their master. They're like, what do, what do we do? Kalsar, we need to get to Yagditha's room. Yes, immediately. Let's go! The thirteen of you rush off quickly. And you're going through these different halls and every so often... You actually see one of your fellow students, they'll get grabbed by one of the zombies lurching out of the room and it like bites down on them, ripping out their throat and you just have to keep running. You can't stop for half these people. You end up losing about three people along the way and you finally make it to the doors. These giant golden doors where there's this cyan sapphire that's put into the edges of it and all worked to these strange symbols on the door. And standing at that door, you see 
the paladin, Dan Bright, he goes towards the door once more, and he slams his face into it, and slams his face into it, and just every time it's this sickening thud. And he looks over at you and says, Kelsar, I, I seek an audience with the Agditha vessel. Open the door. And he slams his face into it again. What is going on here? Your friend holds your hand, says something's, something's not right with him. And this mammoth of a man, he looks like he's battered, there's blood all over him, and he's just slamming his face again and again to this door. I'm going to try to pull him away from it. Okay, uh, make a grapple check. That's just your strength and proficiency. 10, 14. So he'll oppose that. So you manage to grab him and you just kind of push him away from the door. It's basically all you can do against this huge thing. And he looks down at you and says, You. I lost so many people because of you. What do you mean? He goes to reach for you as if he's going to strangle you. And suddenly, at blinding speed, this silver blade cuts through, almost cleaving him in two. And he falls to the ground, gurgling out of blood. And you see, right behind him, is Master Ella. And she's breathing heavily, and she has a wound on her side. Kelsar! Kelsar, are you hurt? I'm fine. Thank you. What... What is happening? You... You must... You must go see Yegditha. The light needs you now more than ever. And you see her start clutching her head. And her silver sword just falls to the ground. Hurry! I... I can't hold off this madness. Shut the door behind you. Please. Yes, Master. Oh. I'll never forget you. So you go, you rush in, this door goes, flies open for you, and the rest of the people head in there with you, and they're quickly closing the door. And everyone's staring at the door, and then you slowly turn around. And what you see before you is breathtaking. You've never been inside these chambers before. There have been times where you've spoken to the light, maybe through dreams, visions, telepathy. But in here, it's this perfectly round chamber with incredibly high marble ceilings. Everything looks polished and well-made. There's tapestries that adorn the walls to the carved ceiling and the painted floor. A large glowing sphere of light floats in the center of this chamber. Its cyan light shines and gives everything this bluish hue. And suddenly, in your head, you hear this familiar voice. Kelsar, I'm so sorry, my child, but there's no time. I must ask what you were born to do. I was born to protect the weak and slay evil. Kelsar, I had hoped to have more time to discuss this with you, but... I need you to lend me your body so that I can vanquish an ancient evil. I don't know what will happen to you, as your mind isn't ready yet. Whatever it takes. Anything to stop this nightmare. Suddenly, the doors are kicked open, and you know these doors are sealed with the highest level of divine magic that you're aware of. And they go flying off the hinges, nailing a few of the students and just collapsing on top of them. And everyone screams as you look back, and what you see is you see Master Ella she lets out a strangled breath, and she arcs her back in a strange way. You hear this cracking and snapping as she looks straight up. She looks back down. You see her eyes are a sickly yellow color. Her hair is changed to this bristly dried out gray, and her skin looks like it's stretched tight across her face, almost like there's not enough skin for that body. Masarella, what? What has happened to you? Hello, Kelsar. Thank you for inviting me into your home. I hope you enjoyed my present. And he points to your satchel. You did this. Yes. Yes, I did. Bastard! And as he laughs, it sounds like laughter is not a thing this creature should ever do. It sounds like some... Thing that's drowning on its own sick, just... I will make you pay for this! Well, first, 
he flicks a hand, and you feel your feet come from underneath you as you land on your back. And you see, floating out of your satchel, there's this white stone, fist-sized, with a feeling of protection and warmth and kindness. What are you doing? And he flicks his hand, and you see the stone slowly turn into an obsidian. No! Well, I actually needed this. I'm sorry, I'm taking back my present. That's so rude. You monster! You see the hand flick out once more, and the stone flies, hitting the center of this being of light. This scream is heard throughout your mind, shaking your very soul. A deep purple blotch stains the center of this holy being. You won't be interfering anymore, you shitty light bulb. I wasted decades getting into here. Good thing your boy Kelsar let me in. I won't let you get away with this! What do you do? Attack. So you rush up to him. <coughs> and you hear people shout out saying, Kelsar, no! And with this body that you're used to training with, you're used to your master standing across with her, you know what she's like, but now it's this born invader. And... When you go to swing your sword, it's almost like they break their own back just to clumsily get away from you. And they snap their back back up. And they're just laughing at you with this weird choking sound. And it grabs your arm and just pops it off as if you're a toy and throws it against the wall. You're just a puppet. And you hear in your mind this weak voice. Kelsar, do I have permission to enter your body? What what are you? Kelsar, we have to stop these beings. They're going to slay everyone. You see the light grow dimmer as it gets a little smaller. Do it. Make me a wisdom saving throw. You're having an ancient being thousands of years old enter your brain. Uh, 10 plus 2, and then proficiency 2? Uh, yes. So, 14. So, it feels like someone took a hammer, and they started going to town on your head. All these things are flooding in, languages you don't understand, memories that don't make any sense, shapes that shouldn't exist. Your brain can't comprehend it. You're letting out this scream, but you're pretty sure that no voice is coming out of your throat. And you see this strange being sort of walk up to you, and they stare at you and go, What? It still went in. And it looks down at your left hand, the one hand that's still attached to your body. What is this? Where did you get this? And it starts shaking you. Answer me! Where did you get this sign? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you, you monster. Your king won't save you. And he plunges his hand right into your chest as if Heward made out of foam. He rips open your ribcage. And you feel everything inside you just slough out as your heart is retrieved, still beating in his hands. And he says, try using the light for this and crushes your heart. And everything slowly starts fading to black. You hear the screams of all your fellow classmates of your new friend. And you hear this laugh just resounding. This... As it all fades to black. And then you get a feeling that you're falling. Terrible fate that boy met. But... Such a fate allowed him to enter our world. Though it pains me that that boy had to go through so much pain to get to where he is today, he was so instrumental in making sure that our world and all the others were rescued. It is these four brave heroes that made sure that you and I are still standing here today. The boat to Lantern is still being fixed, unfortunately, which means I will be back here in a week's time. 
I shall tell you the story of Ronnie, the Bard. This half-elf took the right occupation, I must say, though I may be a slight bit biased. If you wish to hear, if you wish to read more of my thoughts streaming across the nether sphere known as Twitter, find me at Ballad 7 Dice. That's Ballad, the number 7, and Dice. And please leave us reviews on the iTunes. Fare thee well, travelers, and I bid you adieu.